Welcome to Everything is Better Than You Think, a podcast where we focus on mental health, spirituality, and overall well-being. If you struggle with anxiety or depression, or are just seeking a higher quality of life, this podcast is for you. Hi, everyone. Today, we continue our series on pain and pleasure. I'm Will Johns here with my brother, Rick Johns, and we're excited to bring you another episode. That's right. We've been talking about pain and pleasure, and we've been following Anna Lemke's book, Dopamine Nation, which is an intriguing read talking about these provocative subjects. Will, we've covered a lot of ground, uh, but today I find really interesting because I never would have thought of this subject in the context of pain and pleasure. But Dr. Lemke says, truth-telling is an important part of understanding the system of pain and pleasure and addiction. Absolutely, Rick. And we'll let our listeners try to guess which side of the equation truth-telling comes on. You know, is it pleasure or is it pain? <laughs> or a little both, maybe. <laughs> yes. And, and we're going we're gonna to get to that. But, you know, this topic reminds me of a funny story I heard about a little girl in church who was asked to define what a lie is. Hmm. And she answered, a lie is an, an abomination to God and an ever-present help in times of trouble. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that really kind of encapsulates it. Like, we all feel a little bit guilty, especially if we're doing a deliberate lie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we kind of know, like, ah, man, I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but man, it helps us out of some sticky situations. And so it can be really easy for us to turn to that. Yeah, I love that quote, because those are two texts from the Bible that she put together in a very convenient way. <laughs> uh, God, I think, is supposed to be an ever-present help in trouble, but she said lying is, you know, it's, it's a good point, because even from when we're little, we figure out sometimes lying can get us out of trouble or keep us from getting in trouble. Yes. So it's very natural for us, uh, I think, from day one, and it's the easy road. It's the easy way out. It's the quick fix uh, rather than face the consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's no wonder that this comes up in her research and in her experience, because as she works with those who suffer from addiction, truth-telling and addiction don't really go hand in hand. Right. In fact, those who are addicted to something that they're ashamed of, they have to lie to maintain their self-respect. And then they must constantly lie to others to cover up what they're really doing. And ultimately, if they're not careful, they end up lying to themselves. Yeah. And to me, I feel like that's kind of the biggest thing. They are lying to themselves. And I think your conscience and your inner self knows it. You know you're doing it. And you're, you're telling someone you're not drinking, but you know you've got vodka bottles stashed and hidden around the house. Yeah. You're telling someone you're not doing drugs, but you're you're doing drugs when no one's looking. And all these kind of addictions are very easy to hide, but who knows better than yourself? Yes. <laughs> so I do yes. think that lying to yourself par, uh, part of it is pretty big. Well, and it and it creates kind of a vicious cycle with addiction and and really even in our small addictions, we tend to do this. For instance, we do something we're embarrassed by. Mm -hmm. then we try to keep it a secret. Mm -hmm. We don't want anybody to find out. 
then if someone does find out and they confront our behavior, we quickly lie to cover it up. No, 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 no. You know, you're misunderstanding. You know, what really yeah. happened was blah, blah, blah. And then the weight of these lies begins to build over time. And we start to feel anxious. What if somebody finds out? Yeah. What if this image that I've carefully crafted to make myself look like a success, what if the truth comes out and everyone can see the failure that I'm actually experiencing? And mm. so that anxiety that begins to build and mount weighs on us, and ultimately it can drive us to do more addictive behavior that we need to cover up, and now the vicious cycle is in full swing. Yeah, absolutely. So you swing into McDonald's uh, on the way home. <laughs> Your spouse asks you, why are you home a little late? Oh, I had to work a little longer. And you throw away the receipt and uh, any evidence. And then you won't take your kids there because you're afraid the teller uh, will recognize you and say, hey, welcome back, Joe. Uh, glad to have you here. Because <laughs> it's just become your little indulgence, your guilty pleasure. In fact, I don't know. It's kind of interesting that we at society have come up with this uh, phrase, guilty pleasure, to kind of minimize some of these things. But maybe it's good, at least we might acknowledge a guilty pleasure, and I think Dr. Lemke would be happy if we had at least acknowledge it instead of hiding it completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, any acknowledgement starts to lead towards freedom. But remember, we asked at the beginning, you know, is truth-telling going to come on the pain or the pleasure side of the equation? And I think initially it's going to start off on the pain side. There's pain and freedom that result from truth-telling. Sure. And, and it's really no wonder, Rick, that every 12-step recovery program begins with the participants admitting the truth about their addiction. Yeah. Like that is the requirement for entering the group. You, you can't show up and say, uh, hi, I'm Will, and I'm just fine. Yeah, <laughs> I got no problems. You know, like that doesn't work. So. Right. And until you admit you have a problem in those twelve steps, you can't get anywhere. I mean, that's step yes. one. They won't. You, there's yes. no actual way to advance to get recovery. You can't skip that step and say, "Well, you know, I just I want to do a little better at uh, not drinking or whatever the twelve uh, step program is." So. I, I think it's uh, absolutely profound because I do think that's the one we want to step over. It's it's the first and most crucial, but we're like, well, yeah, I may have a little problem, but I can handle it. I just want to tweak it. I just want to get a little better. I want to uh, drink a little less. You know, we, we minimize, and it's that minimizing that keeps us from having true victory or true success from overcoming the addiction. And that's where the, the pain, pleasure, teeter-totter comes in, is that it hurts to mm. admit the truth about where we fail and fall short of our values, of our ideals. And sometimes what happens is uh, because it's so painful, we may admit the truth to ourselves and then give up in despair yeah. and say, you know what, I'm just going to always have this problem. I know it's not good, but I can't seem to beat it, so... Phew, just yeah. going to pack it in, you know? So truth telling doesn't get you all the way there, right? but it's the start yeah. because denial means I'm not going to get any help at all. Exactly. And that's where, uh, and we're going to get to this a little later, I think, but that's where the supportive group, 
the right friend, somebody that you can truth tell to that can support you so you don't end up overwhelmed with the reality of the truth that you're having to admit to yourself or having to face. Uh, We all need help. In fact, in AA, I know they say you cannot do it on your own. Yeah, Do not for a minute think you can beat this addiction on your own. So I think that's important to bring up at this point. You know, it does hurt when we push down on the pain side of the teeter-totter by telling the very brutal truth to Mm. ourselves or to other people. But that ultimately long-term, as the brain, remember the teeter-totter, when you push down on one side, the brain wants to bring it back into balance. Um, It ultimately leads to feelings of well-being and freedom. And so, you know, when when we take that push it sets us free. And, it, mm-hmm. and that reminds me of a story that, that she shared in her book mm-hmm. that I thought was really fascinating. Uh, it was about a woman named Maria uh, who was also uh, an alcoholic and struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. And she happened to be living in a home with her brother Mario and, and Mario's wife. And whenever Mario would get a package from Amazon, she would open it. <laughs> and and she couldn't even really quite explain why she did this, but she just was curious, you know, oh, I wonder what he got ordered today. <laughs> and she would open it, and Mario would get very upset, you know, and he would confront her, you know, did you open my package? And she would try to reclose it again, you know, <laughs> and she would lie and say, oh, well, you know, your name looks so much like mine, you know, like I just thought it was for me, you know, Mario Maria. So that, that kind of makes sense. And he maybe bought that the first couple of times, but after a while, he didn't buy that anymore. And this one day, after she had been in recovery for a while, learning to tell the truth, same thing happened. She opened the package, he came in, he confronted her, she lied about it, he pushed some more, she lied some more, she doubled down, he stormed out of her room, slammed the door, and that night she had trouble sleeping, (laughs) and in the morning she knew what she had to do. And she went to her brother, Mario, and she said, you were right, I opened the package, then I lied about it, and then when you pressed me, I lied even more. (laughs) And I'm sorry, I know I need to start telling the truth, and I know I need to stop opening your packages. It set her free. Now imagine, I can only imagine how painful that was to, to admit that. Yeah. But there was a freedom there, but also a beautiful accountability. Because now that she's committed to telling the truth, yeah. the next time she feels tempted to open that package, she has to think in her mind, oh, that would hurt if I have to admit this again. Right. I think I'll just leave it. Yeah. I think it's less painful to just not open it in the first place. And it also, to, to me, just listening to the story, it removes that heavy burden of hiding. <laughs> yes. Hiding something, hiding things. It's it wears you out. It wears on the soul. It wears on you mentally. Um, it is like carrying a weight around, mm-hmm. and you have that fear that you're going to be found out, or someone will discover the reality or the truth. Or well, and that, that's why you were saying uh, earlier, Rick, that that sharing the truth with a group that can listen with compassion and non-judgment can be so healing, because our fear is is not of the truth itself. Our fear is that the truth means that that we are no longer have value, 
that we can no longer have friendships, that, that we might be put out of the group, that we might lose our friends, that we might lose our place, yeah. that we, that, that, that the greatest fear is that maybe we're unlovable mm. because yeah. we're admitting this flaw in ourselves. Yeah, people will not like us. People will look down on us. All the different aspects of that are, it's a very prevalent fear. So I like that, Will. So step one is if we're going to make this commitment is we have to find a person, a group, somewhere safe to be our truth-telling. Because truth-telling doesn't mean you just broadcast to the world. I mean, please nobody listen to this podcast and go on Facebook and post all your darkest secrets. <laughs> we highly ag- recommend against that. Yes. And Facebook, yes. to my uh, humble observation, is not a safe place. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, not, not probably the best place for that. Yeah, finding that safe person is so crucial because that's how we get started. That's mm-hmm. how we realize, okay, wait a second. I just told the truth, and this person didn't like beat me up for it. You know, they didn't verbally they didn't judge, me. judge me and, and yeah. shred me and say, you horrible person, What you're despicable, I can't stand being in the same room with you. And, and so we could do that with, with a pastor, with a counselor, with a close friend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's many places, and you know, with groups, we can find a recovery group of some sort. That's a perfect place to, to process addiction and, and things along those lines. And then once we find that safe place, we can also push ourselves now to share an uncomfortable truth mm-hmm. every day, mm-hmm. maybe with our spouse, our boss, our children. I know one for me that I've really pushed myself is to share with, with my boss, mm-hmm. like the person that's, that's kind of directly supervising me. If I'm struggling or if I feel like I messed something up, I want to confess that quickly. I don't want it to be this awkward thing where, you know, he knows and I know, but we both don't talk about it. Yeah. Like, let's just put it out there. Yeah. And I say, you know, I think I messed up in this X, Y, and Z, and I just say it. And then that makes it a lot easier for him, you know, to work with me and, you know, help me learn from it and yeah, and fix it for next time or, you know, whatever. And that's something that in my past Rick, I would try my hardest to never do. Exactly. I was always anything I did, I was always trying to paint as a as a good thing, even yeah. when I knew it was a mistake. And I think that comes from our ego. It's very natural for all of us to want to look good and to make ourselves look good. And words become our tool to make ourselves yes. look good. In fact, I know when we talk about spiritual disciplines and they talk about the discipline of silence, they say, if you're actually silent for a day, you'll start to panic because you realize how much you use words to Mm. manipulate, to make yourself look good, to reconstruct the truth, to to massage the truth, to paint things in a rosy picture. Yes. And we just kind of become addicted to words sometimes or using words as a tool to make ourselves look better than we are or or to get people to do what we want. Yes. And uh, it just reminds me, Will, where Jesus, he said, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mm. Like, And he said, anything more than that's from the evil one. Yeah. 
So just yeah. that simple truth telling, very simply, humbly, it doesn't mean you have to tell all the truth every moment, every place, but I like what she challenges us once a day, just speak your truth plainly, comfortably. You don't have to defend or manipulate or try to make it exactly yes. what someone wants to hear. Just say your truth. And man, uh, you know, the days that I have done this, I feel so much better. Uh, absolutely. And and Rick, sometimes I think we we hold back on the truth because we're afraid of hurting someone else's feelings. Sure. 100%. And that, that takes wisdom. We don't want to be cruel to people. But there's ways that we can use I statements and say something like, you know, this may not be accurate, but when you said X, Y, and Z, I heard in my head this, that you were upset with me or that you didn't like me, and that that was hurtful to me. And I can I can say my my experience to somebody in a way that's providing valuable feedback yeah. to help the relationship get better. Yeah. And ultimately, for me, I think it's about control. I want to manipulate the truth and use words to try to control the outcome to be exactly what I want it to be. Mm. But I'm so much healthier and happier when I just let my yes be yes, my no be no. I say the truth. Yeah. And then I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I let the chips fall where they may. I trust God with whatever happens after I say the truth. Wow. Now, it doesn't mean I can just bluntly offend everybody, you right. know, with, with <laughs> truth. It doesn't mean that. I have to be wise about how I use words. Words can be very harmful to sure. people. I 100% always have to tell the truth to myself. Yeah. And then I have to figure out when it comes to other people, how do I put this in a way that they might receive it and I don't cause them unnecessary harm? Yeah. So I'm hoping that someone listening to this podcast is thinking, yeah, I could do a little better at being more truthful because I think we all can. So don't feel bad if you're coming to oh, that we're recognition. We're all there. Yes, yes. I could be a little more honest. I could be a little more authentic. And I'm hoping that someone will dare to try it. <laughs> yes. Because what you're doing is you're putting, again, like anything good, you're putting a little bit of the pain up front, yeah. but the back end, the dividends are high. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay the pain up front and you keep hiding and you keep lying, you keep manipulating, then you're just continuing to try to push the pleasure button, like we said, with dopamine nation and addiction. And eventually your brain is going to make sure that pain comes crashing <laughs> at yes. some point because you're never dealing with the reality you have to deal with. Yes. And that, that brings up a, an interesting, somewhat controversial theory that Dr. Lemke came up with uh, regarding truth-telling, where she says that maybe we all need more pro-social shame. Mm. I thought shame was a bad thing, Will. How how was she recommending shame for us? I, I know, and that's when I first read it. I thought, oh, this is this is interesting because you know usually you kind of hear shame as a as a negative that we need to have less of, but maybe what she's saying is we need that accountability that it can bring to our behavior. Hmm. So just like lies enable us to keep acting in self-destructive ways because we, we cover, it, cover it up and are not dealing with it, Yeah. so does a culture 
that accept self-destructive behavior as normal. Mm. So, you know, if if I'm living in a culture where I'm doing something self-destructive and everyone's like, you're great, you're fine, don't worry yes. about it, maybe that keeps me stuck uh-huh. in that behavior. And I would think if you look at addiction and if you're in a particular addiction, whether it's gambling or drinking or one of those, you know, kind of common ones, typically you find friends in that addiction. Yes. <laughs> you've got your gambling buddies, you've got your drinking buddies. And what's the first thing they tell you in breaking those addictions? You need to have new friends. You can't go hang out with the other addicts and expect you're going to get free because it's going to drag you right back in. So in that context, I can see how this pro-social shame, a little bit of recognition, hey, this is not okay. This behavior is destructive to me and those around me. Yeah, and I, and I think the, the key thing to point out here is she's definitely not talking about judgment that just beats people down for their mistakes. She's not mm-hmm. talking about, you know, a vindictive kind of thing, nor is she recommending that we wallow in shame or stay in it. In fact, um, Brene Brown's research on shame points out that it's by sharing what we're ashamed of, by bringing it into the light, by truth-telling, that it evaporates. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. it's only secrecy yeah. that keeps us ashamed. Yeah. So when she's talking about pro-social shame, what she's basically saying is, when I do something that's harmful to myself or to another person, I should feel bad about that. Yeah. That's, that's honest. That's true. Like, yeah. that was hurtful. I need to have some feedback that, that reminds me of that. So that's good. Now, what am I going to do with it? If yeah. I can share it with someone else who's non-judgmental and and make a change, then that's the healthy way, you know, forward. Right. So this feeling of shame can be a benefit to us in the sense like a warning sign. Yes. I mean, you need signs to warn you of upcoming, you know, curves on the road or <laughs> stoplights or whatever it may be. And so uh, this pro-social shame then can serve that function as saying, hey... I might be a little off the track here. Yes. I, I got drunk last night and people were really upset at my behavior. <laughs> yes. And now they won't talk to me. Maybe this is a warning sign. I'm not really living a healthy way. Yeah. And I, I think that's the benefit that I think she's promoting with this, you know, idea of pro social shame is that there is this warning sign. There is this, like, watch out. You're headed in a bad direction. And ultimately, when we commit ourselves to a life of truth-telling, then that's the, that is the thing that will set us free from deception, from the burden of being found out, from the anxiety that comes with lies, deceit, covering up. Yeah. So I encourage our listeners as we close this episode... Take some time to meditate and reflect upon what would it look like if I just simply told the truth as much as possible in love with kindness but simplicity and think about the answers you give when people ask you questions. Do you give them what they want to hear or do you give them the truth? Do you Are you authentic to your core values? Are you authentic to yourself? Are you able to stand up for yourself when you need to stand up? Are you able to confess when you need to confess? Are you able to say I'm sorry when you need to say I'm sorry? 
I think these are painful things, if you will, hard things, but man, can they be life-changing and the freedom, the authenticity, and just the self-respect that you will gain is so worth it. Oh, absolutely, Rick. Yes, that's, I, I couldn't agree more. The beauty of her idea about this teeter-totter is that when we push down on the pain side, when we do things that are difficult, we get a huge blessing out of it. Mm. We feel so much better when yeah. we're done. And yeah, it hurts at the beginning, but long-term, we keep helping ourselves. We keep growing in the right direction. I, I have to admit, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I love the idea of, of living a pain-free life. Mm. <laughs> and I've tried it, and it only led to more pain. Yeah, Like, I have to embrace that there will be pain, there will be yeah. uncomfortable things that I need to say and do to tell the truth and to, to live an authentic life. And, and so I, I love that recommendation, Rick. So give it a try this week. Uh, make a decision tomorrow. I'm going to be a little more truthful and just take little steps. And I think it'll start to become a habit and part of who you are. And that's when I think it, it becomes exciting. So, Will, what are we talking about next week? So next week, we're going to talk about how spirituality fits in with this whole topic of pain and pleasure. That's a shocking revelation for our listeners who never heard us talk about a topic in the light of spirituality. But join us next week. We'll kind of wrap up this pain and pleasure series by talking about the spiritual journey with pain and pleasure. And so we look forward to that. But for now, you've been listening to... Everything is Better Than You Think with Dr. Rick Johns and Dr. Will Johns. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being with you again next time. Mm -hmm.